Amen. So thank you to Caleb and Jenna for leading us in worship. And this is for Phil Hahn. Woo! All right, so we're, we're shouting a little bit about God, and we're just going to brag on God today because he is an awesome, awesome Heavenly Father who is so, so good to us in so, so many ways. Well, if you have a Bible, turn with me to uh, John chapter 15. John chapter 15, and I'm going to have them... Um, so as you're turning there, uh, hopefully you have, you've grabbed maybe a scrap of paper and you can uh, write down the outline as we're going through since you do not have one in your hands today. You know, the Apostle Paul, who was once a, a um, persecutor of the church, who had a dramatic encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus that forever changed his life, the direction of his life, he said this in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6. He says, Do not be anxious about anything. But everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God, and then the peace of God that surpasses all human understanding will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Jesus himself said in John chapter 14 and verse 27, he says, Peace I leave you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. It was David, that king over Israel, who wrote the 23rd Psalm. And he said in the Psalm, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. In other words, I have everything I need. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, because you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So think about these words, fear, worry, panic, anxiety, They are all real emotions that we deal with day in and day out. And when we do cry out in the midst of these emotions that are going on inside of us and we're trying to cope with what is happening around us and we're looking for the the root cause that lies behind those emotions, um, we are in a situation as a nation, as a world, known as the coronavirus pandemic. And so there are a lot of people, even God's people, who are wrestling with these emotions of fear and worry and panic and anxiety. And oftentimes when we wrestle with these emotions, it drives us into our coping mechanisms. And sometimes those coping mechanisms are very unhelpful, very unhelpful as well as unhealthy for us. For some of you, it might be that you're driven deeper into your pornography problem. It may be for some of you that alcohol is becoming your source of comfort. Or maybe it's it's drugs. Maybe it's eating. Maybe it's sleeping. Maybe it's, um, you know, hoarding things, spending money, or, you know, whatever it is that you do in order to cope with these emotions that are just flooding your heart and, and seemingly overtaking you. It can also lead to marital strife. I heard uh, yesterday that lawyers in New York, which is where there's a concentration of the uh, virus striking people's lives, and they said that there is a 50% increase in lawyers being uh, summoned into family life in order to help them navigate through their divorce. Somehow that isolating us together, we realize we we can't get along, we don't get along, and and so, you know, the, the weaknesses of our relationship begins to rise to the surface. Or maybe for you, it's, um, you know, it, it's something else. Maybe it's you're struggling with thoughts of suicide. That begins to heighten when there's fear and worry and, 
and panic and anxiety. And those, those videotapes in your mind begins to roll over and over again. It says, you know, I'm not good enough and nobody cares about me and my family would be better without me. And so these are real emotions that we struggle with. They are the same real emotions that Jesus' disciples struggled with. As we looked at last week, um, 365 times, the Bible tells us to fear not. To fear not. Why should we not be afraid? Because if Jesus is our shepherd, he is the one who is going before us and has gone before us in these valleys of the shadow of death. And so Jesus asks us to lock our eyes on him, abide in him, remain in him, follow him as we journey through these, these valleys of emotions and these valleys of, of viruses and the valleys of, in our lives of circumstances and situations that creates fear and worry and panic and, and anxiety attacks. And so the disciples, again, were experiencing these emotions. It was on a Thursday evening that Jesus gathered his disciples in the upper room celebrating Passover as we looked at last week. And during that time of Passover, Jesus made a startling statement that struck fear and worry and anxiety in the hearts and lives of his disciples. He says, I'm, going, I'm about to leave you. I'm about to leave you. And so three of the disciples asked three different questions. Peter and Thomas and Philip, man, they just like, they got all riled up and said, well, well Lord, uh, where are you going? Lord, we don't know where you're going. We don't even know how to get there. And then Philip says, Lord, uh, show us the Father and, and that will be enough for us. And so Jesus responded to his disciples by giving them three promises and answer to the three questions they ask. Jesus says, I'm going to provide you a secure future. I'm going to go and prepare a place for you that where I am, there you may be also. And a part of that preparation was that Jesus would make a way for humanity to move back into relationship with their creator by way of the cross, that Jesus was going to die to prepare us for our entrance into heaven. Now keep in mind, this is Thursday evening. By Friday morning, Jesus will be on that cross. For after they leave uh, the upper room and they take their journey towards the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus pours out his heart and his life before the Father, and it is after that experience that he is arrested and taken through mock trials through the course of the night and crucified on Friday. And so the disciples had put their hope and their dreams in Jesus, and they're, they're like panicking, Lord, you, you can't leave us, you're Messiah. You're the one who has come to set up your eternal kingdom here on earth, and, and we're going to rule and reign with you. And so Jesus like, shattered their, their expectations and their dreams. And so he said, I'm going to prepare a place for you, and he says, I'm going to give you divine direction. I'm going to show you where you need to go and what you need to do in my absence. And then he says, I'm going to supply you with God's supernatural resources. I'm going to supply everything you need. And so Jesus then began talking to them about the Holy Spirit. And he said, I asked the Father, and he will give you another counselor who will be with you. Note that. He will be with you. He is not going to leave you. He will be with you. He will teach you all things. He will remind you of everything I have said to you. And listen, as followers of Jesus Christ, we have the Holy Spirit within us. And we often forget that God has never detached himself from any valley that we have ever traveled through. 
He is with us through the person of the Holy Spirit. He was going to be with the disciples through the person and the activity of the Holy Spirit of God. And so what God has promised, we can walk through the valley. We can walk through the valley filled with peace. We can walk through the valley being led by, directed by faith rather than fear. So the question I want to answer today in light of John chapter 15 is this. How can I experience the peace of God in the midst of my pandemic valley? How can I walk in through that valley driven, guided by faith rather than driven and guided by fear? This is an important question because uh, many of us are feeling the pain of a financial crunch right now. Many of you have been laid off. Some of you in our congregation have lost your job. And so you have questions. How is this going to affect my life personally? How is this going to affect the economy of our country over the long haul? How is this going to affect my future retirement? Or, you know, how is this going to, to affect my my life, in, in so, so many ways, there's so many unknowns out there. Do I have the virus? Can I get the virus? Will I have the virus? Will I survive this? And whenever your mind begins to dwell on the unknown, with so many unknown factors and questions, we have a tendency to go to the dark side, right? We have a tendency to go to the negative side, and we allow our focus to be on what's, what's causing fear and worry and anxiety, and that begins to drive our lives rather than the peace of Christ, and rather than the faith of, in God that enables us to experience this peace that surpasses all human understanding and guards our hearts and minds in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the way you and I handle this should be different than the way the world around us, those outside of Christ, outside of God's kingdom, the way they're handling this. And so in chapter 14, in the very last verse, Jesus said, come, let us go. So they leave the upper room. He's taking them to the Garden of Gethsemane. And in order to travel there, they would have to go through what is called the Kidron Valley. The Kidron Valley was a valley filled with vineyards and orchards that had been producing fruit uh, for many, many years, many generations. And so Jesus, like he always does, he takes the opportunity to provide an object lesson for his disciples and for us when we are struggling with the emotions of fear and worry and panic and anxiety because of the future that is unknown and what is happening all around us that is beyond our control. So let's just kind of drop in on the conversation Jesus has between himself and his disciples in the midst of their own anxiety-producing pandemic. Look in chapter 15 of John's Gospel, beginning in verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. Some of your translations might say abide. It's, it means to stay in contact, to, to connect with and remain connected to. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. 
for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. This this, this is to my Father, to bring my Father glory, to bear much fruit, to showing ourselves to be my disciples. Now, in the vineyard, there is a season of planting, there's a season of harvesting, and there is a season of pruning. And um, we, tend to, we tend to think, uh, I grew up in the city, I didn't grow up around vineyards, I didn't grow up around orchards. Uh, I grew up in the city, so I thought fruit was grown at Costco, okay? So that just or Kroger's or wherever you, you shopped. Uh, but that's not reality, right? So vineyards um, produce grapes and, and wine and things that are made from those grapes. And there's orchards and apple orchards and all kinds of, of different orchards. And the term garden is, or vineyards kind of vague to us. Maybe you use the term garden or orchard. But the analogy is still the same. Here's what Jesus says. Jesus says, I am the vine, right? God is the gardener. You and I are the branches. And that apart from being connected to the vine, abiding in, remaining in the vine, we cannot produce anything. We cannot produce fruit. And he's speaking here primarily of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. We have no capacity to produce that fruit on our own. And so the branches are coming out of the vine and the ministry of the Holy Spirit, he's like the sap that, that brings nutrients from the vine into the branches so that he can produce fruit on the branches. And so he's the one who is bringing us into the life of Jesus so that our life connects with his life so that we can become fruitful. And notice he says, again, branches have no life apart from the vine. None. Therefore, you need to abide. You need to stay connected. Because apart from Jesus, the vine, the true vine, we can't do anything. Now, here's what I want you to know. Out of the gate. You and I cannot be somebody else's vine. All right, when people are filled with fear and worry and panic and anxiety, and you're, you're a follower of Jesus, and you're abiding in him, you're remaining in him, and you're being fruitful, uh, guess what? You, you can't be somebody else's peace. Right, so one of the fruits of the Spirit is peace, love, right? Love, joy, peace. So you're in, you're, you're, what's going on around us, you're just remaining peaceful. Everyone else is filled with worry, fear, pain, you know, anxiety. I can't be the vine for them. I can love them, call them, support them, pray for them, you know, hold them up as much as I can, but I cannot give my peace to you and you cannot give your peace to me, because it is the activity of the Holy Spirit that happens in your life personally, and only He can produce that fruit that is within you. So it is essential. Everything flows out of our relationship with the vine, Jesus. Love flows out of that relationship. Joy flows, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. All of that flows out of that relationship. And as to the quantity of fruit we're producing, that depends on how well we are abiding, how well we are remaining. So here's the problem. is oftentimes we choose to make something or someone else our vine. Something or someone else that we turn to 
in our moments of crisis. It can be a spouse. It could be a friend. It could be your children. It could be any number of things. And the problem is, look, they're not any more healthy than we are. We're no more healthy than we are in abiding in the vine. And if they're not abiding in the vine, they're not much help. Jesus says, everything we need, when we're walking through our personal valleys, the reason why we can have peace, the reason we do not have to fear is because Jesus is our shepherd. He's been there before. He is guiding us, leading us through this valley. You're not stopping in the valley. You're not camping out in the valley. You're not remaining in the valley forever. It is you're going through the valley, but you're going through differently with peace, with faith, rather than worry, fear, and anxiety. So you need to understand that the goal of our lives, God's goal for our lives is to be fruitful. Now, there's two errors that we make in goal setting, right? We think the goal of our life, the ultimate goal is to be successful. Or we think the ultimate goal is to be comfortable. No, that's not God's ultimate goal for your life. His ultimate goal is that you become a fruit bearer. Let's look at the life of Jesus. I mean, was Jesus successful? Was he comfortable? Well, at this point in his ministry, he doesn't have a home. He's got nowhere to lay his head. He doesn't have a wife and children to go through this valley with him as he's, you know, going to be facing the cross. Um, he doesn't own anything. And from all external um, entities, we would say, oh, no, no, he's not, he's not successful. He's not can't be comfortable. I mean, he's about to go to the garden, and he's going to pray so intensely that drops of blood are literally going to be pouring from his forehead. But Jesus was extremely fruitful. And that fruit carries on even yet today. This is what God's looking for in our lives. Because when we are fruitful, it impacts the lives of others and it has a rippling effect that continues well beyond our lifetime. And so the goal for you and me is to be fruitful, which means that you and I may be less successful and less comfortable, but we're going to be fruitful. A fruitful tree is what nourishes somebody else. How many of you like fruit, right? Like peaches and apples and pears and cherries and blackberries, strawberries, grapes. Uh, fruitfulness, fruitfulness is life-giving. It's nourishing. It's sweet. It is helpful. It's joyful. It's beneficial to others. And that's what it means to live a fruitful life. And so again, a tree does not exist for its own benefit. It exists for the benefit of others. That's what the Bible calls ministry. That God fills us with his Holy Spirit, enables us to have the mind of Christ, the character of Christ, the fruit of the Spirit, so we live the life of Christ, and thus through ministering to people, we allow them to experience a taste of Jesus that is sweet and helpful and encouraging and life-giving. That's ministry. So as we drop in on this conversation, Jesus makes the analogy, and he talks about four kinds of people. So I want you to look at this and say, well, which person am I? So here's the first one. Are you an unbeliever? Are you an unbeliever? In verse 6 of chapter 15, Jesus says, If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. Now, in February of this year, there were several of us from our church who went to what's called Engage Conference at Jersey Baptist Church in Pataskala, and on our way over there, we passed an orchard. And uh, we noticed something is that 
in that orchard, there were dead branches piled up everywhere. Because harvest was finished, and at the end of harvest time, like in Jesus' day, uh, the gardener, the vine dresser, would go in and begin taking off all the dead branches, all of the, the branches that were not producing any fruit whatsoever. The branch had long died. It was not connected to the vine in a life-giving way. And so that's how they celebrated the end of the harvest. They would have great bonfires. And here we are in human history in a time of great harvest. From God's perspective, we are living in the age of the harvest. And one day this harvest will come to an end. But during this period of time, God has called us to be darkness in the midst, to, be, to bring a light in the midst of darkness and to bring life in the midst of death. And light and life is found in one person and one person only, and that is Jesus. It's Jesus. It's why we tell people about Jesus. It's why we worship him, we celebrate him, we walk with him, we talk with him, we seek to abide in him and remain in him and spending time in him because there's going to come the day when Jesus comes back and he raptures his church out of the world, which begins a period of tribulation. And at the end of that, there's the millennial reign and then the harvest is completed and then God's eternal great white throne judgment begins to take place. He says, those who... who do not abide in me. They do not remain in me. This word abide or remain is relational. It speaks of a mutual relationship. Like if I'm going to have a relationship with somebody, for example, my wife, it's a mutual relationship, right? We didn't just get married and we ignore each other for the last 40-some years. But it's a relationship that we build on and, and we, we, we spend time together and we communicate and we build the relationship and we put effort into the relationship because we know that is what makes the relationship grow. That's what makes the relationship healthy. If I just skim on the relationship and I just give my wife a little bit of time every now and then whenever I feel like it, not going to go well. Sometimes people, they do more than skim on the relationship with Jesus they don't think they need Jesus. Many people say to me, I don't, think, I don't feel like I need God in my life. Um, you know, everything's going just fine. Yeah, it's going fine until it's not fine, and then it's not fine for all of eternity. I want to tell you the truth today because I'm a Bible teacher. I'm not a salesman. I'm not trying to sell you some condo somewhere uh, and get you to sign the dotted line and give me a bunch of money with, and, while hiding the, you know, the uh, fine print details. I want to tell you the truth as Jesus told us the truth about who he is and what he came to do. Jesus was exceedingly clear that everyone dies and everyone lives forever, but not everyone lives forever in a better place. I share with our congregation all the time. I've never been to a funeral where the person laying in the casket wasn't going to a better place, but that is not reality. That is not what the Bible teaches. God created us body, soul, and spirit, not just for time, but for eternity. One day the body ceases to function, it dies, my soul and spirit is removed from the body, and it moves into either the presence of God or eternal separation from God in a place called hell. And so the language that Jesus uses here about fire and burning is, is kind of the language he used in describing that eternal destiny of hell. There is a heaven, there is a hell. They're both eternal destinies for people made by God to live forever. So the most important decision you and I have to make in this lifetime is what are we going to do with Jesus? Jesus said, I, 
and last week, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, no one, that includes everyone, no one comes to the Father except by, by him. Now, there's a prototype of an unbeliever who was mixed in among believers, among Jesus' own disciples. His name was Judas Iscariot. Jesus loved Judas for three years. He didn't love him back. Jesus served Judas for three years. Judas didn't serve him back. Jesus was generous to Judas for three years. He wasn't generous in return. In fact, he was stealing out of the treasury. And then he sells Jesus off for 30 pieces of silver. Judas made a decision in his life that I'm going, money is going to be more important to me than my relationship with Christ. I'm going to detach myself. I'm, 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 I'm pulling out. And so Judas, uh, Judas looked like he was a follower of Jesus. He looked like he was a disciple. I'm sure he prayed. He carried his Bible. He listened to the teachings of Jesus. He witnessed all of the miracles. But yet he was not a true disciple. He sold Jesus out. The Bible says Satan entered into him, and after he, he did that, eventually he was sorry for what he did, but he wasn't sorry to the point of repentance and turning back to Christ. That's why Jesus taught sometimes you cannot love God and money. You have to pick one or the other. Judas made his choice. He loved money more than Judas, and so Judas cut himself off from Christ it's not Jesus' fault, it's it Judas' fault. Jesus was willing to be in relationship, but he wasn't. And so this is the eternal fate for, for many, many people. Jesus said, broad is the road that leads to eternal separation. Many are there who find it. Narrow is the road that leads to eternal life in Christ, in heaven. Few are walking on that pathway. And here's why. Because many of us believe that our works is what's going to gain us entrance into heaven. We, we truly believe that. But there's a principle in the Bible that blows that out of the water. It's the principle of substitution. In the Old Testament, when someone sinned, um, they had to take an animal to the, to the priest at the tabernacle and offer it as a sacrifice. It had to be an animal that was unblemished. If it was, the animal was deemed to be blemished that had some defect, it was rejected as a, an acceptable sacrifice. Listen, the person offering the sacrifice isn't being rejected. The sacrifice itself is being rejected. Jesus is the only acceptable sacrifice that God will receive for the sins of humanity. He's the only one who is unblemished, without sin, without fault, Therefore, he's the only acceptable sacrifice on our behalf in the eyes of God. God says we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory, that none are righteous, no, not one. That if we try to offer our good works on the altar of sacrifice to gain entrance into God's presence, he will not accept that sacrifice. It is blemished. It is damaged. Only Christ can be that for you. Jesus is the true vine. He's the only true vine. And so you, there must be relationship with Christ that grafts you as a branch into the life of Jesus. The Bible puts it this way, that you are in Christ and he is in you. You are grafted into that vine. You are now indwelt by the Holy Spirit who is the sap running through the vine into the branches that is enabling us to produce fruit. That's why if I don't have a relationship with Christ, 
I don't have a chance when it comes to fear and worry and panic and anxiety. Because those things, those emotions are going to overwhelm me and overtake me because I don't have a counterbalance within me called the Holy Spirit. And so maybe you're that branch. Or maybe you are, number two, you are an unhealthy believer. Notice the phrase in verse 2. He says, he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. That phrase, he cuts off, is an unfortunate translation. It is from the Greek word "ario," which means to lift up. To, to, to lift up, to take up, to hold up, um, really not to cut off. Now, it is translated that way in other areas of the New Testament. Uh, this word is used in multiple different times. But here's what I want you to get the picture of. Uh, I'm not much of a gardener, and so I went out and plant uh, tomato plants. I didn't know you were supposed to stake the tomato plants so that it helps hold them up. I didn't know you were supposed to put some wire thing around them to hold them up. I just plant them and let them grow. Well, guess what happens? Well, the tomatoes are laying on the ground. They're laying in the soil. They're not getting sunlight. They're not getting any circulation of air. And so the insects take over. Um, they, they get mushy and rotten, and they just die. And so in order to bring life to a tomato plant, you stake it up, you lift it up, you, you hold it up. As the gardener comes into the vineyard, uh, when he sees grapes laying into the dirt, he, he puts them up, holds them up, lifts them up off the ground, places them back on the trellis so that they can get sunlight and circulation and they, where they can grow and be protected. So this is what Jesus is describing here. When a Christian is not producing fruit or very little fruit, God comes along and he wants to lift you up. He wants to encourage you. He wants to forgive you. He wants to teach you. He wants maybe to bring somebody in your life to disciple you, to lift you up so that you can grow and you can produce more fruit. Remember, God's goal is that we produce fruit because fruit is nourishment. Fruit is life. Fruit is life-giving to ourselves and others. And um, God says, in essence, listen, I'm not done with you. I'm here for you, and I want to lift you up. So how does a Christian's life become filled with no or little fruit? I think there's four ways. Number one is maybe your life is filled with weeds, all right? Um, again, when you plant something in a garden, uh, you've got to weed the garden. Otherwise, the weeds begin to take, overtake the plants. You can't just feed the plants and, you know, water them uh, you got to weed it once in a while. And so sometimes the weeds in our lives uh, begin to overtake us. They begin to choke out our relationship with God. And as a result, we live not in an abiding, deep, uh, fruitful relationship with Jesus. We start skimming relationally. And so Jesus is really just kind of there, but only when I need him. Or he's there, he's kind of tacked on, he's kind of the addendum in my life. And so these weeds that you may need to pull may be weeds of bad habits. It might be the weed of a rebellious spirit. It might be the weed of unforgiveness. It might be the, the weed of greed. It might be the weed of a love for money or success or comfort. It's anything that's choking this relationship. The second thing that can create no fruit or very little fruit is, is sometimes we just walk through a brutal season in life. right? Not every season in life is just, you know, bountiful. 
Sometimes you hit very hard circumstances. You're, in a, you're traveling through that deep, dark valley that may extend for quite a long time. And it's not going to be over tomorrow or maybe next month or maybe even six months down the road. It may be longer than that. And so what happens is, is that if we're not careful, our roots become shallow. And we're not really digging deep into God as we're moving through that valley and it's like, man, I just cannot seem to catch a break, and, and nothing seems to be turning out right. And again, we start skimming relationally, and maybe it's a financial setback. Maybe, maybe there's been a string of deaths in your family or uh, physical illnesses, or maybe you're a caretaker for an aging parent, and it's just a season in your life that just, it's just like, I, I don't can't ever seem to get a break. And so a lot of things, feelings, emotions, things are happening in our lives that Jesus is there, but we're just not really diving deep with him. Or maybe it's this one, the third one, is you've just been, you planted yourself in some bad soil. Right? It might have been the soil of bad theology. Bad theology says, well, it says, uh, you know, if, if, God, if I'm having a hard time, man, God must be punishing me. He must be, you know, getting back at me somehow in some way. God must be mad at me. He didn't come through for me. I know a lot of Christians who have really kind of sat down in their journey with Jesus because they felt like God didn't meet your expectation. He disappointed you. You're mad at him. You're hurt. You're angry. And, and it's like, you know what, God? Mm, I'm, I'm just done. I'm, this relationship, mm, we'll see if it continues or not, depending on how you, how you respond to me. It might be a bad church experience, a bad relationship, a horrible divorce, something that you were committed to and it didn't work out. It can be all kinds of things. And so we have to replant ourselves into some good soil. And maybe God wants to need to bring some good godly friends in your life. Maybe he, he needs to help you develop new habits and, and to sort through and work through those things that have created so much fear and anxiety and, and you know, envy and bitterness and unforgiveness in your life. And God wants you to pull that off. He wants to pull that weed off. And he wants to replant you back in good soil that's healthy soil that can help you flourish and grow. The fourth weed is that, you know, you got, you're not staying connected with the right vine. There's sometimes we take people and things and we put them in place of Jesus. And we turn to them first. We look to them to help us to grow and be healthy and joyful and loving and peaceful and self-control. And we're, and we're putting pressure on somebody else to be our Savior. They cannot be their sa- your Savior. They were never designed by God to be your Savior. Jesus is the only vine. You have to graft yourself through a relationship called salvation. And when you graft it into that and the Holy Spirit indwells and begins flowing through the life of Jesus, the mind and the life of Christ and the character of Christ into you, you must keep diving deeper and deeper into that relationship so that your roots go deeper and deeper. Then when you hit those valleys in your life, you may be struck initially by fear, worry, panic, anxiety, but you don't have to live there. You do not have to remain there because God wants to produce greater fruit in your life. And you cannot produce fruit if that's where you're staying, if that's where you're setting up camp. And so what I'm asking is, who or what is your highest priority in life? Who or what do you go to for energy and clarity and health when you need an emotionally healthy person. If it's not Jesus, you're probably doomed and destined for failure. And you're going to live life just being shoved and pushed around 
by fear and worry and anxiety and those things that cripple us, that keep us from moving forward, that keep us from deep abiding in Christ, relationally with God, and then we just start skimming. So here's what God's going to do. Because there are really four baskets here of fruit that he talks about. He says there's no fruit, and then there is fruit, and some fruit, and much fruit. So God is constantly trying to move you from one basket to another throughout the course of your lifetime. And so notice what he says, there's no fruit, but well, then he wants to bear fruit, and then he wants to give you, bear more fruit. He, he does what? He prunes you. So here's the third person. Are you a believer in a season of pruning? A season in which God's pruning your life. Now, if I were to ask you, do you want to be fruitful? We'd probably all raise our hand. Yes, I want to be fruitful. I want to be fruitful for the Lord. I, I want to be as fruitful and bountiful, bountiful in fruit as I possibly can. Well, for that to happen, pruning must take place. Pruning has to happen. Uh, fruit is tasty. Pruning is painful. But you cannot have fruit without pruning. At least not greater amounts of fruit. And so what the vine dresser would do, what the gardener would do, is he would come in, and they call like sucker branches, right? They, they, they are branches that are not essential uh, to the branch, the main branch producing fruit, and so you have to cut those off because otherwise they're extracting uh, nutrients and keeping it away from where the fruit is being produced. And so God comes along and he, he cuts those things off. These are the things that sap our energy, and uh, these are the things that... Um, you know, needs to be removed in order for greater flow and movement of the Holy Spirit in and through our lives. You know, I had some fruit trees in my backyard in my previous house, and I didn't really know much about what I was doing pruning, <laughs> and uh, I about killed the trees. But in my front yard, I had two massive trees, and I, they were starting to look a little sickly, and I hired a company. They, came, they were professionals. They came and pruned those trees. Can I tell you, when they got done pruning the trees, I thought they killed my trees. I looked at the guy, he said, you want me to pay you for that? I mean, my tree looks like it's dead. But in the next season of growth, they came back more full, more beautiful than ever. Here's what Jesus is saying to us. God the gardener knows exactly where to cut, when to cut, and how deep to cut when he's pruning us. Remember, the Father is pruning you into the image of his Son, who displayed perfectly the fruit of the Spirit, a fruit that was there for the benefit of others. So you can, God wants to prune you, conform you to the image of Christ, so that the character, the fruit of Christ is produced in you, so that you can in turn nourish those around you, those in your closest proximity of relationships, your spouse, your children, your grandchildren, your coworkers, your community, that you bring life to people. Have you ever been around somebody and you said, you know what, when, when, when I'm in their presence, I just feel so encouraged. I feel so lifted up. I, I just feel like, you know, I, I've been built up rather than beat up. What is that person doing? They're, they're giving you life. They're allowing you to eat of the fruit of their lives. There are people you've been around who did this, the exact opposite, right? They suck life out of you. I mean, it's like this is a believer who's just like taped plastic fruit on themselves and when you grabbed it and ate from it, it was hard, it was calloused, it was bitter, it was unedible. And you've been around people like that also who say they're followers of Jesus. 
Jesus wants us to be the people of God who are fruitful, who nourish, who build up, who lift up, who feed, rather than beating up. And he says that every branch that does, not, that does bear fruit, he says, he, he prunes. And some of you are in a pruning season. You've lost your job. You've been laid off for an extended period of time. Um, maybe you thought you had a friendship, and that friendship is gone. Pruning is painful, but it's profitable. But listen, if your goal in life is success and comfort, you're not going to like pruning very much. But if your goal in life is to produce fruit, then you're going to bear it much easier than those whose lives are driven by success and comfort. Pruning is what cuts back, prunes us back, And this is where God has, I think, the world right now, is that God's in the process of pruning. He's he's saying to the church, listen, your calendars have been so busy. You've been skimming on me relationally for so long. I'm going to remove all of those obstacles out of your way so that you can dive deeper in abiding with me because the world is ripe unto harvest and I need a group of believers who are bearing much fruit to get out into the harvest so that people will feed off of you and be nourished by you as they feed off of Christ who's living in you and through you. He's got us there. And one of the key pruning tools that God uses is trials. It's trials. Jesus is inviting us not into a life of comfort and ease. He's inviting us into a life of sacrifice and surrender. James 1.12 says this, Blessed is the man who perseveres under a trial, because when he has stood the test of time, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. So to get in the crown of life, you've got to go through the trial, right? So God is pruning us through trials. So if you live with the American illusion that life should never be difficult, it should never be uh, painful, that it should always be comfortable, and we should always be protected, that is an illusion. That is not real life. History is clear that life has always been difficult. People have always had to make hard choices. People have always you know, dealt with infections and financial hardship and war and famine and death. I mean, the bubonic plague killed 200 million people. That was 30 to 40% of Europe's population. It took them 200 years to recover from that. The Spanish flu during World War I lasted two years. It affected 25% of the world's population. Millions of people died. The swine flu reached America. 60 million Americans were infected. 13,000 people died. People die all the time from famines and genocide and AIDS and Ebola and and, and any other pandemic virus that might be unleashed upon us. But here's what God's saying. At that moment, there's a war that goes on inside of you. It's It's the spirit versus the flesh. The flesh says, I'm going to live for self. The Spirit says, I'm going to live for God. God says, you can't, you can't do both at the same time. You're going to live for one or the other. Isn't it amazing when this virus hit how selfish some people became? They're grabbing toilet paper by the truckloads and you know, clearing off everything. I, you know, it's not enough that I have one of these. I forget it, 25 of them. You don't need 25 of them, but you got it anyways. Not caring about how it's going to impact the rippling effects it's going to have in the lives of others. That's not what the life God's called us to. 
He prunes us so that we become more and more like Jesus. And so how do we overcome our selfish tendencies and live selflessly for Christ? The answer is in daily submission, and it's the overflow of a life that is abiding in Christ as the Father is pruning us so that we can bear much more fruit. And that's the fourth person. Are you a believer growing more healthy and more fruitful? So I'm just going to read these verses very quickly uh, in, because verses 7 through the remainder of this chapter is the person he is describing here. And so Jesus says, and you can read this later on, but, but what Jesus basically says is as God is producing fruit, that he is, he is glorified by that, right? So when, as we live out the fruit of Jesus, we love what Jesus loves. We, we've, Jesus keeps talking about, if you love me, you're going to follow my commandments. If you love me, you're going to obey me. If you love me, you're going to do these things. You're going to love what Jesus loves. Jesus loves what? He loves the fruit of the Spirit. Jesus loves people. He loves to, for us to take the gospel to people because he loves them and wants a relationship with them. Jesus loves the church. Jesus established the church. It's the bride of Christ, and he wants to use us in very, very powerful ways. In fact, Jesus goes on. He says, listen, you did not choose me, but I chose you. And so what Jesus did is he chose us, and we responded to his choice by choosing him. It was, but somebody had to initiate the relationship, and it was Christ who initiated that relationship so that we might have the mind of Christ, the character of Christ, to live the life of Christ. But Jesus stressed in this chapter what it means, the importance of abiding. So I want you to jot down five words as I close this. The importance of abiding. What does that look like? Prayer. It is crucial for us to pray. The purpose of prayer is not just to get God to do what we want him to do. The purpose of prayer, and if you want a model to pray by, go to the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6 that Jesus gave us. You start off by what? You start off by adoring the Father for all that he's done. I mean, man, I mean, when you, when you sit down and you want deep build deep roots with Jesus, just think about all the Father has done for us. I mean, Christ has gone and prepared a place for us. I just like the fact that when I get to heaven, I'm going to have a home without an HOA. I don't know about you. Uh, but I think that's going to be pretty cool. And so it's the purpose. He says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The purpose of prayer is that God brings us in alignment with his will. So that his will, his desires become our will and our desires. So that we live out the life that God has called us to, the ministry that God has placed us in. And we all have a ministry. Number two is the Word of God. The Word of God is so, so essential in building deep roots in relationship. It's the primary way in which God speaks to us. The Holy Spirit fills us and talks to us about things, and, and He brings alignment and He empowers us. Listen, what you feed thrives. What you starve dies. If you keep feeding your soul with all the pandemic stuff out there, all the stuff on TV and your news feed and you're listening to that and looking at that for hours on end, I'm telling you, you can't help but live fearfully and with panic and anxiety because that's what you're feeding your mind. That's what you're feeding your soul. You, if you want the fear, worry, and anxiety to go away, stop feeding your mind with that stuff. You start feeding it on the Word of God because it's there you find truth. It's there you find hope. It's there you find the Spirit of God speaking and empowering and indwelling and filling you to overflowing. He is the one. He is the one 
who produces the fruit. It's the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruit of CNN, MSNBC, or Fox News. Dwell in the Spirit, in God's Word. Number three is worship. It's crucial that, crucial that we worship. Now, I know we can't get together as a church right now, as a church family, to worship. But it is crucial that you worship. You can worship on your own. And worship is not limited to a specific time on Sunday. But it's a time that you just get before God and you sing and you praise. And, and um, you know, the, the fastest growing segment of Christianity right now is called the nuns. It means that people are pulling away from the church. They, they, I'm spiritual, but I just don't want to, I just don't want to engage in a church anymore. I, I think it's useless. I think it's pointless. And therefore, that's the fastest growing segment in our country. And yet Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, speaking to us, says, do not forsake yourselves to, to assembling together. But we come together in unity and we lift one another up and we pray for one another. We encourage one another. You cannot fulfill God's will in your life apart from the local church. You're not serving the church. You're not giving. You're not ministering. There are so many things that the Bible ties back to the local church. It is the community of Christ that is to work in unity and oneness as, we, as we're fruit to the world. Number four is solitude. I didn't say isolation. I said solitude. Isolation is when I isolate myself away from everybody just to be about my, with myself, right? Solitude is about pulling yourself away, and hanging out with Jesus. It's downtime. It's abiding. It's where you offload things on the Lord. You, you receive clarity for decisions that you have to make. So pull out your cell phone, right? You got a cell phone. How many hours a day do you spend on that cell phone? News feed, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, whatever. Here's what the statistics say to us. Four hours a day. Four hours a day. How much time do you spend actually abiding in Christ every day? So tell me, who are you truly abiding in? It's amazing. We as Christians, we can't even come to church and go to a small group without putting our phone beside us in case, you know, it happens to ring. Or, you know, we get a, we get a ding that there, we've got a Facebook post. Um, yeah, it's time. You've you got to unplug, right? A, solitude is about unplugging from everything and everyone around you and spending time with Jesus. And the last one is serving. When you surrender to him, you have the eyes to see where he's working. You have a heart to feel what touches his heart. You have hands to show his love. You see people who need encouragement. As the Holy Spirit says, here's some words you may give them. You see people in need, and God will prompt you to meet that need. But people say all the time, but God, you don't understand, Pastor, I don't have time for prayer and for worship and Bible study and solitude and serving, my schedule is way too full. My calendar is booked. So here's my last thought. Your calendar is the most powerful tool you have for abiding in Jesus. See, what we do is we fill our calendars up with events and stuff. We never think about this, this is just activities that I want to do. We never think about who we want to become. If I want to become a, a, a very great and faithful husband and father, I've got to schedule some things in my calendar. If I want to become a fruitful Christian, there's some things that better get scheduled in my calendar. Those are the, what I call the big rocks. And those, listen, you need to sit down and say, what are my five big rocks in life? The most important things. And make sure you calendar them first, then you can fill in the cracks with other things. Because if you fill the calendar up with other things, events, without looking at the five big ones, they'll never get in there. 
if I'm going to truly be a Christian who abides in Jesus, that produces much fruit, which is the goal of God for my life and your life, then I've got to schedule time in prayer. I've got to schedule time in his word. I have got to schedule time in worship and solitude and serving because those are the ways that we abide and we produce fruit. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. So if you're listening today and you are not a Christian, you say, well, what do I give? How about just giving Jesus your sin? Give him your life. Jesus came as your substitute. He came to bring you the ability to attach to the vine, to Christ, so that the Spirit of God can move in you and through you, so that when you walk through your valleys of the shadow of death, you have no reason to fear. You have no reason to be filled with worry and anxiety and all the things that keeps you up at night and keeps you turning emotionally over and over in a negative way. Jesus says the Spirit of God can take all those things and he can give you a peace that surpasses all human understanding. And he says you do not have to fear. You can walk in faith. And that's my prayer for you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this time that we've had today, just to, to, to celebrate you through song. Thank you, Father, for your word, for the truthfulness of it, that we can feed on it. Lord, I just pray for each person who has heard this message, will hear this message, that God, Holy Spirit, will help them to determine which of these four individuals are they. So they can look at the activity of their lives and know, Father, that you want good things for them. You want to lift them up. You want to encourage. You want to, you want to build them up and, and enable them to produce much fruit. That you're not mad. You're not angry. You're not judging. Jesus took our judgment on the cross. So may they rest in Christ. May their roots go deep as they abide in Jesus. May their calendar reflect a life of abiding a life of abiding so that when we face our personal tragedies, our personal valleys, trials, we do so with love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, self-control rather than being out of control because that, oh God, is the fruit of the Spirit. And so may we abide in Jesus and rest in the work of the Holy Spirit from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen.